How's it going, guys? I'm Zeke. And I'm Jake. And you're listening to the Cinema Slideshow Podcast, episode 154. Merry Christmas, Zeke. Merry Christmas to you too. <laughs> and a happy sweaty new year. Happy sweaty bollocks. My God, this is horrible. This is quite horrible. Is this the, is this the hottest summer ever? It uh, generally feels third, like it. Third consecutive day above 40 degrees yeah. today. So That's actually not that common. Is it? No, not not really. I yeah. I remember once in like year seven in primary school mm. we had something like that. But yeah, that uh, was that was the rumor. Everyone was like, oh, three or four days consecutive forty plus, you get to get off school. You do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, we don't get this too often. Obviously, even our nights have been the really hot part. They've been like last night got to like thirty two degrees at night, which is just like <sighs> disgusting. Not a fun time. I know. Um, and we had to turn our fan off, so you're welcome, audience. I legitimately haven't felt this hot in a podcast recording since the dry. And that wasn't because of the film. <laughs> that was because we were in a... That was when we were on... Uh, like, that was the house sitting. That was the house sitting. That was the only time we've ever filmed outside of either your house, my house, or the Murdoch studio. <laughs> yeah. That's the a random, random house. <laughs> so much like bounce as well, because we, we filmed in the living room with, with so much space. Yeah. Like, we're in kind of a small box here. Your room's kind of enclosed. You know, the doors in that closed. And then... That'd be funny but, if those people yeah. that we were, I was house-sitting would ever figure out. There was just like a podcast casually recorded. Yeah, the there. most famous <laughs> podcast of all time, Zeke. Did you know we have a perfect five-star rating on Spotify? There you go. Which I think that... I think I that's didn't a brand, you could give star I think ratings. that's a brand new thing. I okay. noticed that this week. You can give star ratings. I didn't realize. So, of course, I gave us a five-star review. Oh, okay. And now we now we have a perfect five star streak. Cool. So apparently, if you like our podcast, definitely give it a five star so we can keep this going. Exactly. So we can become the most perfect cinematic <laughs> podcast. The most perfect cinematic in the podcast. Perth, West Australia area in the world, really. Yeah. Well, I but, mean, start small. Okay. Go big. Yeah. You take over the world after the fact. Speaking of going big, Jake, <laughs> can you go yes. big with your fact from the film <laughs> this week? I can. I can. See, that was one heck of a segue. I'll give you that. <laughs> So, because film of the week this week is West Side Story, the 2021 Steven Spielberg adaptation. Of course, there is a 1961 adaptation, which I'm going to talk about. I guess we're both going to talk about quite a bit as well in this. I watched them both back to back for the first time, which was cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wanted to talk about how Steven Spielberg very proudly credits, is it Rachel Zegler? Mm-hmm. I think it's Zegler. Uh, introducing which I was waiting for. I was watching as, as they're an introducing credit because it is her first film credit, um, which, you know, wow, what a way to start <laughs> your film yep. career. Um, which is a small little, you know, Steven Spielberg film. Uh, but what I found interesting about that is even though it is her first film role, she actually has played in stage adaptations of West Side Story as Maria multiple times. So as much as it's her first film, it's not her first go at the role. I thought was quite interesting. Yeah. yeah. Uh, on uh, other notes, so mm. sort of connecting the two films, obviously this is a remake of the 1961 uh, film, sort of a good way of, you know, most people discuss mm. this as a good way of bookending Steven Spielberg's career. Um, it's centered wow, around, okay. yeah. well, I would say to I, I, get, I just I didn't expect this to be like his career's ending. Wow. Well, I mean, it's not going to be his last film, I doubt it. Right, I feel like course. if, you know, in, in retrospect, this is sort of, Got that definitely that underpinning to yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, um, it makes sense. It's one of his like later films or his well, last films. Yeah, centered around one of the characters that was in the original nineteen sixty one film, uh, mm. Rita Moreno, 
who said originally she wouldn't make a cameo in the film, but eventually agreed to play the role of Valentina, which is the reimagining of yeah. Doc's character from the 61 version. Um, and yeah. obviously we'll talk about these sort of changes, tweaks and reimaginings um, when we compare the two in the second half of the show. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Zeke, before we do that, or even really the first half of the show, I guess this technically is the first half of the show. Yeah. It's all, all the categories sort of lumps on together. Yeah. 1,100 films before you watch Poster Zeke behind you. Would this film make... Of course, it wouldn't be on it because it, the tail end is 2018. But would this film be on your list? Probably not. Because mm. I think the original would be the one I'd still use. Well, do you think the original is on the list? Yes. Yes. It, def- it won 10 Oscars, of course, it's on the list. <laughs> <laughs> I would probably agree with you. But again, not a commentary on the on the, the quality of the movie. No. But obviously... You can't yeah. have both. Yeah, you can't really have both. Un- unless they would did something dramatically different or interesting, mm-hmm. which I don't think this does compared to the 60 no. version. No, um, absolutely. But no, I agree with you on that. Well, we jumping see? into other films, Jake, have you caught anything in the last week? I have. Quite a lot. Well, obviously, you know, Christmas, you, you family gatherings, you put on your elves and your How the Grinch Stored Christmases and your... All of that jazz, so, mm. you know, those are all fun. I feel like I'm actually going to ask this question when I get into one of the things I did watch in the sure. next week in terms of Christmas themes and whether, like, Christmas is almost like a cheat code for movies. <laughs> Can you really hate a Christmas film? Like, really? Oh, big time. Yeah? Big time. So it's like... Uh, mm. to <laughs> Okay. I, okay. I think it depends <laughs> on the Christmas film. It's like, I think I remember earlier this year I talked about... I don't know why I watched it, but I watched a film called Holiday, and I was quite oh, seldom okay, okay on okay, it. I knew it was enough, bad. Yeah. Rewatched it this weekend with Liam because obviously, so um, you know, not all of us have huge families or have big Christmas mm. things. So I spent, and obviously, as we've just discussed, it has been forty plus for the last three days. It's so disgusting. Christmas was spent uh, at first with my family, and the second half of the day at Liam's house in his pool. Just trying to relax and not <laughs> fry. Um, but we watched Holiday and boy, God, that is actually an awful film. Yeah. I don't know yeah. what I was, what oh lens I was using when I was looking at it. But yeah, I definitely think. Because he didn't mind it so much the first time, did you? Yeah, I thought there was something to laugh at in it. Yeah. But no, not the second time. That's fair enough. I guess, you know, when I say that, because I think of those classics like Elf and stuff. Sure. Where it's like, they're just so like what's the word like they're you know they're so inoffensive like it's just it's just fun films like how can you not love watching mm. the grinch it's so bizarre it's so fun um but then you're right you have your um you do have the companies that are well aware of the whole finan- the hallmark films the financial um, gains and making a very a, cheap christmas movie so that's time, a good point the yeah, first time i heard that 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 phrase hallmark movies was um like a couple of years back mm. and um and when, like, I knew someone that actually watched them and loved them. And then I was like, what are they? And she and she was like, oh, they're called Hallmark Films. And right. Like, and I was like, like what? Like the card. Like the, <laughs> like the Christmas card. And it's like, and turns out Hallmark does actually make those movies. Right. Like, produce yeah. them. So, Crazy. Like, it's a whole new level of A24. <laughs> Especially in the month of December, like at two in the afternoon, those graveyard shift films are now all Christmas films. And yeah, they are just yeah. god awful. 
but they give so many like predominantly Canadians because they're mostly shot in Canada jobs. Hey, well, might as well, might as well. Yeah. <laughs> Have a good old Canadian Christmas. Slightly different from an Australian Christmas, but I'll take it. No, that's a fair point. Well, part of the reason I thought of that question is because I watched Hawkeye, mm. which is the last MCU show of the year. It's the end of Jeremy Renner too, isn't it? I get, yeah, I I did get the sense watching this. I'm like, oh, I guess this is his way to pass the torch over to Kate Bishop. Mm. Haley, is it Haley? Is it Steinfeld? Is it? Yeah, Steinfeld. That's how you yeah pronounce it. Um, she's great in this. I enjoyed. it. I actually had fun with this. I think I'm usually very like I poo poo the whole chemistry banter bathos stuff with Marvel. And it's like, oh, they're ma- they're making quippy jokes and that. Yeah. I actually kind of. I really bought the chemistry in this. It actually didn't bother me at all. I thought they were really fun together. Is it his daughter? Um, so what it is, and the show opens up, is her as a kid, Kate Bishop, um, in New York during the events of Avengers, and, and one of Hawkeye's, like, bows kills the alien that nearly kills her. So she has, like, this, like, oh, wow, like, this is my favorite Avenger. He's my hero. So she grows up in his shadow, like, becoming an archer and, and doing, like, the kung fu stuff or whatever, you know, doing all of that. Um, training herself. Mm-hmm. Um, no, more in like, he's my idol. She has the Incrediboy. The incre- yeah, the Incrediboy, exactly. <laughs> it, it turned out slightly nicer for her. <laughs> but no, it's exactly, yeah. And then um, through happenstance, and it does tie into all the Ronin stuff from Endgame, which was very, very just like brushed away. It was like, oh, now he's like an evil ninja. But they have to go back in time, so they, they just sort of brush over it very quick part of Hawkeye's serious, history serious PTSD yeah yeah I think it plays into the, it's very vague what Ronan even is like that character but she stumbles upon like a private auction that sells like the sword and stuff she ends up having to wear the costume to hide her identity as she fights these people and lo and behold Hawkeye notices this on the TV and so he has to hunt her down so now she meets her idol and it's the whole like ah oh, you know do you want to meet your idols that, <laughs> that whole mm-hmm. thing but again I like their chemistry a lot um as they sort of unravel this mystery for these other characters i kind of wish this was just a movie i said the same thing about falcon and the winter soldier um but the reason not because this doesn't have enough story but because of that chemistry and and the fun sort of christmassy undertones of everything where the whole thing is hawkeye has to to do this thing do right by this young girl who he you know wants to care for but he needs to get back to his family for christmas so then that's like the ticking clock is they're you know they're okay with it like oh do what you need to do but he really wants to make it yeah. you know for his family and and but the, this is the thing the stakes are so low yeah. and the Christmas themes are just so fun especially watching this I watched the whole thing on um, Christmas Eve so the six episodes it's just like it's so inoffensive like I'm just yeah. like this is fun you know and you kind of wish sometimes that they would take that route a little bit more honestly yeah I kind of I wish that's they sort would. of how I felt with but then you could argue some of the most like effective. MCU things that have come out have been the ones that have taken themselves a little less seriously and been... Yeah, I mean, Homecoming is still one of my favourite films yeah. and because the stakes are really low. WandaVision, not not that the stakes are lower, but they're more personable. Like, mm. it's just within this town and it's about grief and loss. And you would argue the only point where it starts to lose steam in that show is when the stakes become... Exactly, when there's more CGI battles and, yeah. and yada, yada, yada. And that, and that kind of stuff didn't bother me. In fact, there's a great scene in here where it's like a car chase but it's this big one of the car like inside i think it's the children of men shot um, mm-hmm. i think that's what it's from but it's, it's this cool pan as all the actions happening she's playing around with the bows and he hasn't labeled any of them so she doesn't know what bows do what and then that's kind of fun it's just 
and they have the Christmas music playing underneath. It's kicking off the radio. And it's like, it just works, you know, because it's not trying to, it's not, you know, Black Widow where it's like, dun, 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 and everything's exploding. And mm. it's like, you just kind of don't care. Like, I didn't mind Black Widow. I like the film. But the action scenes are just so, they just exist. Mm. And this has that extra fun because, well, nobody's going to die in the scene. But it's just fun because things are going, you know, yeah. music's playing. And that's kind of why I wish it was just a movie because I could see a family getting together on Christmas Eve and watching this. Mm-hmm. And it, and as a six-part series that you're watching on your computer by yourself, it's like, I don't think it's getting the same yeah, effect. But they need, they wanted that Spider-Man money. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're going to let the Spider-Man money flow. No, what, you know, I think I think they honestly could have made that work. And, and it's not a flawless show. There's tons of little things I can nitpick. Um, so Hawkeye now has like a hearing aid he's hard of here which they sort of motivate by like obviously all the adventures he's been on with the explosions and having mm. to deal with that but I'm like for something like the MCU that's so good at setting things up ahead of time it just kind of came out of nowhere like oh he's now hard of hearing I know one of the villains is deaf so they have like that sort of weird bond going on there um, so there's little things like that and then I'm gonna you know spoiler alert I really don't care it's not I don't think it's that big of a deal personally but the Kingpin returns from um, Daredevil. Oh, so he yeah, kind of yeah. comes in the last episode and I thought he was actually really weak. And I'll get the actor. It's the same actor who played him in That's Daredevil. That's strange because he gets a lot of praise in Daredevil for being a Yeah, well, I've heard he's casting. great. I think, to be fair, I have read things that people have noticed he's notably worse here than in that show. Well, this is the, the one of the biggest things that have come out of, you know, obviously we talked about last week on the show, a certain spoiler in there, and obviously not going to really probably touch on Spider-Man too much. But, we don't uh, need to now. Because obviously there's that whole section of the show, but a big po- a talking point of bringing some of these Netflix show characters back, mm, these actors yes. back, is this debate, because obviously on Netflix they were allowed to push past that PG-13 rating, they were pushing the MA rating and darker and heavier right. tones, and um, like John Bernathol has blatantly said he is not coming back as the Punisher if he's doing the, the Marvel formula. Right, the PG the, version, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so... Um, I think I, that's what's happening that here. That could is, be what's is, happening here. Yeah. He's just sort of resorted to, like, he's a guy in the corner of the room, like, Arr, I'm big and scary, but Kate Bishop defeated me in one go. So, yeah, it's... I don't know what the point of was that. I know that you're right, they're trying to tie things together, I guess. Because yeah. um, you're right, they do do that in Spider-Man to an extent. But I thought he was really weak and came out of nowhere, frankly. Fair enough. But, yeah. Ah, it's it's fine. No drama. It's well, fun. It sounds like a nice Christmas adventure for you, though, Jake. It was. It definitely was. How about you? Did you watch any Christmas-y things? Eh, not really. I only watched... Uh, I did manage to tick off a couple of these uh, newer films that have come out. So, uh, the latest from Sorkin, being the mm. Ricardos. Yes. Um, which obviously centres around uh, a particular week in um, the shooting schedule of uh, the set of I Love Lucy, which was a right. famous uh, TV show in the... I want to say 50s, 60s. Yeah, um, it was parodied in WandaVision. There you go. Um, Tied all back. There you go. Um, <laughs> and, of course, it's, you know, it centers around, like like we were saying, uh, you know, uh, Javier Bardem and uh, Nicole Kidman's characters who are mm. both playing, you know, um, Lucille... Uh, I'm going to get this right now. Lucy Lucille and Be- Love. Uh, Lucille Bell. <laughs> and... Uh, Desi Arnaz, um, obviously they are husband and wife in real life, and it centers mm-hmm. around this week that 
you know, Lucille's uh, char- you know, character is um, being investigated for communism. So obviously very similar oh, to the, no. the Trumbo, Trumbo yeah. stuff that was happening the Red at the time. Scare, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, that's the start of the week. And it basically does the Monday, Tuesday, like does that and goes through dress rehearsals. And yep, yep. basically has a, it's kind of a mixture of sort of like the Birdman exploring the intricacies mm. of the set life versus like the external stuff and basically um you know a revelate like building to a revelation between their relationship if uh you know one or the other is being loyal to the other Mm. in terms of uh you know sort of like um their marriage and look it obviously has all the sorkin traits fast moving talking a lot of lot of talking back and (laughs) forth Uh, a lot of talking some cool um, what devices as Lucille, who really puts the intricacies of I Love Lucy together, how she visualizes comedy and stuff, mm. and how when she's putting together a, like what she thinks the scene should look like, it'll cut to like the live studio recording of them doing it. There's some nifty. Ah, oh, that's cool. Yeah, like just to kind of make it a little bit more dynamic. But I, I think you know, this is not going to be something that we look back on and really remember from Sorkin's mm. writing career, even his, you know, directorial career. It, it's fine. Um, their performances are all fine. I, I think certain things are drawn out to be more more dramatic than what they right. probably were in real life. A bit melodramatic, um, maybe, yeah. A little bit. And I, I think the ending's very, like, oh, a little warm and fuzzy and then, like, a little gut punch ending, but it's sort of like very traditionally structured mm. and i think using the days of the week almost helps that straight has almost like a a very easy way of of telling this story it's a very simple story and basically it's, if anything is showing the erratic and uh, crazy nature nature of what's behind the curtain but we've seen that story told before we've seen that story told before quite recently with right. things like birdman and stuff like that who honestly go about Although it's a live Broadway production in that situation, mm. and not a a TV a studio dynamic where you know, yep. you're talking about the big chief heads and stuff like that. But I even think it's like I found Trumbo more compelling and stuff like yeah, that. You know, yeah. like I I don't really care about really exploring the relationship between actors all the time. It's sort of it's sort of at times not though not nearly as poor, but did have that same sort of Malcolm Marie Marie effect okay. where it's like, okay, we get it. You're big successful actors that are just trying to power play each other. The ego in the room yeah, is so ridiculous yeah. and toxic. It's like I've seen that story now told quite a few times. I've seen it twice in the same year. Right. Um yeah. So this one didn't really do that much for me. Color, like color palette, especially when we're comparing it to the film of the week, around right. similar time frames, it's just did kind of nothing for me. It's yeah, forgettable the costume design. I have a question, very specific. You say it's structured by the days of the week it goes for the mm-hmm. week. Is it like, does it feel like it's all sort of coming or combinating to like a, a sense of tension? Because it reminds me of um, Patterson. That's a film that is organized mm. by Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, but there, it feels like it's never building to anything. It definitely has the build. Okay, like, like that's it's, good. It's trying to imply that the, the, the things are escalating and stuff, but I think that there's just so much going on, and then they they cut away from the week to mm. like years before. Oh, okay. Like, and then it's also intercut with there are actually obviously still screenwriters of the show still alive and stuff. Mm, so it cuts okay. to their interviews discussing it. So it's got like that. 
So it's got a lot going on for it. Yeah, that's that could be messy. Is it messy? Yeah. It would it would be weird because often they would cut to the interview stuff just when they wanted to incite a scene from an earlier period in time that wasn't in the week, you know. Right. Like okay. The night that the two met, the uh, the first time Lucille Ball gets offered a f- film role, so she yeah. transcends to the big screen. You know, I was about to use Steve Jobs, which he obviously wrote the twenty I think fifteen version mm. as a counter to like why he probably shouldn't do that. But to be fair, that film does do that too. Because even though it is within the confines of like a 30 minutes before a presentation, that's mm. the free act structure, they do have flashbacks and, and um, all of that, even in the Steve Jobs movie. So that Sorkin has done that in the past, so good. to give him some credit. But yeah, that's a great film. <laughs> a great film. I don't know. I think, I think this film is, is pretty... It's kind of how I've, it feels, although probably even a, just slightly under, but kind of the same way I felt about Trial of Chicago 7. Mm. it's fine it's cool it, it yeah. obviously the dialogue's quippy and and sharp but do we really expect anything less from him at this point right yeah when he's just achieving you know that passing grade which he has a high passing grade but it's still like you know when he's hitting yeah. his well now potential. we're anticipating like, is there more can, as a director i feel like he still has things to prove yeah from a visual standpoint because he's a very good playwright but you know, I think a trial of Chicago said it's like uh, visually that film doesn't do anything like immaculate. This is sort of in the same boat. Okay. Especially, you know, okay. you know comparatively to other yeah. films. Uh, have you caught anything else in the week? Um, well, the only other thing I was going to mention, I actually rewatched The Father this week. Oh. For the second time, I rewatched I watched it with my mum. That's depressing. <laughs> it's very depressing. It's a depressing film to watch. <laughs> but nevertheless, still an absolutely phenomenal film. Wanted to give it a shout out. It wasn't very Christmassy, but no. but that that is indeed still it. Still a phenomenal film. But yeah. Um, well, over to the only other film I caught in the week, other than the film of the week, uh, is Adam McKay's new film, Don't Look Up. Just got released yes. on Netflix. Which I talked about three weeks ago. Was it the Dune episode I talked yes, about it? I think so, yes. Okay. It was recently I talked about it. Now this is a really interesting one because as I've as I've said it has been compared to what it was before it hit Netflix compared to what it is now has gone oh, significantly the letterbox down score. in its letterbox score Interesting. It's down to 3.2 um, Okay yeah it's dropping it's definitely dropping So um interesting film from Adam McKay obviously like you said a couple of weeks ago on the show it it definitely consolidates a a unofficial trilogy Mm. of sort of political satire films probably the best way of describing political and societal satire satirical films sort of basically having a very cynical take on humanity just as a, <laughs> as a collective just slightly i think this one for me is probably easily the weakest i know this is the only fictionalized okay. one yes um i think this just takes that satire thing a little bit too far in the sense that it becomes um laughing like like mocking the world mm. for and honestly not really holding a high opinion of really anyone in the world right um it's incredibly critical of pretty much everyone i mean obviously it centers around um the two central character protagonists jennifer lawrence and and leo dicaprio yeah and they sort of get swept in this big old media circus as they discover an asteroid's going to hit the Earth in six months. And they both take very different routes, mm. um, obviously, after the first act, really. Um, yeah, well, when- you have you have Jennifer Lawrence who's sort of 
outcast is like crazy and hysterical and then you have leo's character who sort of gets swept up in the fame and the good looks of it all yeah um which is interesting they go they they represent those two things but if you remember a couple of weeks ago now now that you've seen it i'll have to get your thoughts do you think this would have been a better film if they made jennifer lawrence's character the primary protagonist so she's the, the one who gets swept up in it well, not necessarily, just that they focused more on her because... And I won't spoil it too much, but I feel like Leo's sort of redemptive arc in the film happens way too early. And then it feels like it sort of neatly wraps up before the end of the second act. Mm. And I think because they need all the characters that they want in the same room, in the same room, by the end of the film, they sort of have to like strip away certain parts of other characters' arcs. I could I could see that point, yeah, okay. for sure. Yeah. I, I think it's a nitpick. They but... throw Jennifer Lawrence's character away pretty quickly, and it definitely mm. becomes the Leo show. I mean, the she, Leo show. Well, she does. She gets pretty much pushed into some subplot with Timothy Chalamet, which is so <laughs> nothing. Which might be out. Jesus, how much has Timothy been in this year? Come on, man. I know it's crazy, um, but it's she really does get pushed off to the side. Mm. Um, and it's quite interesting because I, I I just don't like I didn't like start I was having grievances way earlier on like in when we, we go back to the Vice episode we didn't even did we do no, Vice we, 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 we didn't, didn't do, do Vice no before the show yeah um but we talked about it I think a bit um where at least off the I air, think you know what I think episode six Dogtooth you and Jesse talked about okay. It. For the Oscar discussion. There was honestly a lot to like about it. And then they had moments where I was like, okay, you're pushing it too far. Like the mid-movie credit scene right, was the fake stupid. Out. Like, or the, the bit where they're reciting Shakespearean lines in bed. It was just like, okay, you're just being an idiot now. Um, <laughs> this is very, like, this is kind of... The way he handles it, he, I feel like he nailed it the first time with Big Short, where it's like there's the entertaining part but he still takes it with that degree of seriousness. Like there is that moment when Steve Carell realizes what's about to happen. And there is yep. a real sense of existential dread there. This film doesn't give me that at all, even yeah. in a, and it's not because um, of the premise of the film, because fiction can incite the exact same emotions as nonfiction. Mm. Um, in fact, most of us didn't really understand what the GFC was. I mean, we were like 10 when it happened. So it's not like we're going to understand it at the yeah. time. So it's... And not American. <laughs> for this, it was just like laughably like over the top in the sense... And I know what they're trying to do. Like they're taking it far so you can reel it back to reality and be like, oh, there isn't that much difference. Yeah. Well, they have those visual analogs of, oh, look, the red and white cap or the Aniana yeah. Grande stuff. Well, yeah, well you know, yeah. Meryl Streep is just like the female allegory for Trump, right? Yeah. Like, that's the yeah. very clear point they're trying to make and it honestly feels like the actors are the ones who think they're being smarter than what they are like they're in this and they think that they're all there's that level of smugness in this one mm. particularly in like the the tyler perry characters like that show that somehow everyone watches but right, so yeah. clearly it's like why would these two scientists that are legitimately talking about something this serious be like on a talk at midday talk show like mm. It's like, I kind of get it because people watch trash TV and this is the best way to get it across. But it's like, I, I don't know. It just, for me, a lot of it missed more than it hit. I think okay. the performances yeah. from both Lawrence and DiCaprio are quite strong. Mm. 
particularly Lawrence. I actually really like her in this. Yeah. She's typically great. I just feel like she's got this weird reputation and she's not in a lot anymore. Oh, that people no. just kind of don't like. It's like she's great in this. Yeah. Um, I like her in it. I, I think he's good in it. Um, it's not going to be one I'm going to remember from him. If, right. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's just a. I think there's just two. I despise Joan Hill in this. I don't think he's funny at all. Mm. I think he's just punchably annoying. And <laughs> I get it. Uh, it's probably his point, but he's just not funny at all. Right. Like, not in that. Oh, I think he's a bit of a tool. He just isn't funny. His mm. character is so overtly like on the nose annoying and frustrating like it's uh, it just doesn't do anything but meryl streep's character is kind of the same this is probably mm. one of my least liked meryl streep performances like ever interesting um yeah. and i know there's that when and you could argue oh well, you're not supposed to like him but you there is a way of not liking likable characters right like, they're just i think that 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 level of, of smugness i just couldn't get past and it really is a shame because it's like I feel like, yeah, he had the genie in the bottle in the first one. And if he had just sort of stayed that course a little bit... And he had it mostly in Vice too, But this one just... Even the cutaways are like, oh, this is a real department. And it's like a weird sort of font where it points to like a badge. And it's like... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot about that. I know they're playing that for comedic effect, but it's not funny to me. Right. It, it just looked cheap. <laughs> No, that's fair enough. It's it's a very sort of jarring um, choice to do that, and and like and I mean Vice and The Big Short have it too. But I think you're right. I think these films are getting slightly more silly with every iteration. And yeah, I think and some if you want to go more back it. to that Anchorman way of doing mm. it, then do that. Like I I don't I love Anchorman because yeah. it's stupid from the start, but still weirdly has those points where it was like, oh, we're putting a female anchor on the air. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Like, yeah. Or in the second one where it's like we can just make up the news and people will believe it. Like <laughs> it's like there is actually a really smart satire on that undertone of Anchorman too. Yeah. But it's hidden it's hid amongst the mountains of absolute crap. Like and it's okay. Yeah. It's interesting for sure. So I, I mean, I, I would agree with you. This is probably my least favorite of those, you know, that trilogy, sort of unofficial American politics trilogy, if you want to call it that. Um, but it's, you know, it's like I said a few weeks ago. I don't the the sort of the allegories that they keep making. It's like you can easily, it's easy to roll your eyes and be like, oh wow, another Trump joke. Like I've heard that one before. Um, I don't know if this film would work without it though, and that's what's really tricky about it. No. Oh. I get the leaders yeah. that have the obsession and then the capitalistic notions that 100%, if, if there would be people that would put forward ideas like Rylance's character, like, yeah. let's mine the meteorite that's coming <laughs> to hit us. But I think something... Rylance is so good at And this I know one. it's like, yeah. obviously it's an absurd situation and it's probably never going to get to that point. If we were actually in this scenario, I'm sure it would be over in the first hour of the film when they send the first rockets up. Like, right. it would just be over. There'd be a bit of backlash, sure, but eventually it would get done eventually like they wouldn't try and mine it and stuff but i think it's it is very yeah it, I, I like some of the performances but it just feels a bit contrived and frustrating at times hmm. and it's long too it's two hours like two hours 15 yeah i got two hours 23 here yeah. Jeez, yeah yeah i did to be fair i didn't really feel it um i mean i always like seeing stuff in the cinema because it's sort of the time disappears away when you for me, when I'm watching something on Netflix where I, can, I have the ability to pause it and things like that, everything just seems ten times longer to me. But 
Um, I don't know. I think it's fair. I mean, those are all fair criticisms. Mm. It's not a perfect film, by no means. <laughs> and that's all I've caught in the last week. Oh, very good. Well, I think, you know, we've all been relaxing this last week. There's not really much to report yeah. on. Um, I've been on holiday since the 23rd, which is great. It's great. Been chilling out. Playing watching games. Stuff. Watching stuff. It's very good. Absolutely. So, Well, yeah. I guess, would you like to move into the film of the week, Jake? I, w- I would love to. But what are we watching? <laughs> this week of the show, Zeke. Watching West Side Story. This is my first time in New York City. I want to be happy here. I want to make a life at home. Are you ready? Tonight is about family. The first gringo boy who smiles at you. I never seen you before. I'm not Puerto Rican. Is that okay? Do you want to start World War III? You know, I wake up to everything I know either getting sold or wrecked or being taken over by people that I don't like. You keep away from him as long as you're in my house. I'm a grown-up now, Bernardo. I'm gonna think for myself. Tony, we need you if we're going to war. Who are you? Friend or foe? If you go with him, no one will ever forgive you. Life matters even more than love. Love at first sight strikes when young Tony spots Maria at a high school dance in 1957 New York City. Their burgeoning romance helps to fuel the fire between the warring jets and sharks, two rival gangs vying for control of the streets. Dun 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 dun, that's, that's, that's the Jaws music. <laughs> that's a different Spielberg film. <laughs> yeah, this is the uh, latest film from uh, Steven Spielberg. Mm, I've heard of him. You, I would hope so. We we talked about him very recently, um, and yeah, I think this is his love letter to his, I would say, his teenage years, his earlier childhood, um, by remaking a film that came out probably around the time I think he was like fourteen or fifteen. Yeah, potentially. I, 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 in all honesty, I haven't looked at any of the um, inspiration. If how much Spielberg wanted it, I know he obviously wanted to do this mm. for a while, but. No idea how it ties into his childhood or when he was younger. That's yeah, it's interesting. But I think he's a good director to do this, um, and especially in the one of the things I will definitely praise him for in this is that he's stepped away from you know CGI bloated Ready Player One stuff. Like I haven't seen a lot of his more recent films, but this feels like the first film in a while he's done that just feels full of cinematic flair and charm and he's actually using the camera and blocking yeah, and performances to his advantage flexing and, a bit of his muscles yeah he's still got showing us what he's still got basically yeah which is great i i love that and i have a lot of nice things to say about the film i think it's gonna be an interesting, interesting discussion because like i said earlier i watched both back to back the 61 version and the 2021 version mm. 
um, what is that, 60 year jump right there? Yep. Wow, crazy. And which is funny, thinking about 60 years, it's crazy and how much has changed and hasn't changed in a lot of ways. I think for me, this film, I do like it. I give it the thumbs up, the tick of approval. But I think there's a lot about, a lot of little weird decisions made here and there comparatively to the 61 version. I know you have the 57 actual musical um, play that I think this is actually meant to be more faithful to than the original film in the first place. Mm-hmm. So I, it might be a bit sacrilegious as me saying it, but there was a lot of choices like with the plotting, how things play out, the order of the sequence of music and the numbers okay, um, and directorial choices that I just didn't know why they were changed from the 61 version. Almost relatively all of them I preferred in the 61 version. Um, n- none of them break the film by any means, but just a lot of interesting weird choices that sort of bulleted my experience a little bit, especially watching them back-to-back in such quick succession. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Um, so I have not watched them both back-to-back. I, I watched the mm. first one, I would say, at least three, four years ago, so it's quite foggy in my head. Right. Um, but... Like, yeah, if I, if, it, if I had watched the original like a year ago and then sat down and watched it, I probably wouldn't even notice half the changes. Mm. A lot of subtle things, redirections, repositionings, um, just things like that. But pl- please continue. Yeah, so I... I I personally, I do like this version. I think this is very refreshing to see from him. Yes. Um, there are a lot of... I do have a lot of pros. I've, I've just gone my got through my list. I, I went mm. and saw this film. We actually... It was fun. I mean, we both saw it yesterday. Yes. Um, both ended up... We're going to end up seeing it at the same session accidentally. Yeah. And ended up it's like Spider-Man it. all over again. <laughs> yeah. Um, two weeks in a row. Wow. Yeah, wow. Uh, so I ended up seeing this with... Um, uh, friend of the show Lucinda Spence who does dancing and stuff she's a okay, dance teacher well. and stuff so that's a really interesting take taking someone who can talk about the choreography yeah, stuff of course. so got all her that sort of stuff because that's oh, not out of my I like this I out like of my this. point of view but no um, that's perfect because like you know we did Jersey Boys a while ago we mm-hmm. had Zachary Cave on the show this is true to sort of help talk about from that side of it from the more performative side being on that side of the stage um, but I'm glad you got some notes there. Yeah, I've got some Perfect. notes here. So I've got my ho- I've done homework, Jake. Um, <laughs> Look at that. Well, someone's done homework for me. <laughs> <laughs> you just copy but, and pasted uh, it. For, for me, obviously, yeah, Big biggest pluses that I liked from it was I was a big fan of the cinematography. Mm. Um, yes. It's a huge point, um, huge pro. I do have problems with the story. I think it's particularly the last act is probably going to be where I find most of my issues. It's a very okay. strange pacing and i don't like obviously this comes back to is it because they're trying to be truer to the um either the original or the original broadway production Mm. which ends up being quite an interesting sort of discussion point because it's you know i feel like it builds to a big point and then sort of everything happens and then there's another 30 minutes left in the film yeah Um, yeah i think the pacing was definitely more awkward in this one yeah than the original i love the first half of the film um, I think it's great, the energy and, and the vibrance. And it, it is honestly, maybe it's just a question of the, the musical's um, number arrangement is, I think it's very high-paced and, and full-on for the first bit and then turns more into a traditional play in the second half. Right. Um, where it starts <laughs> to move away from all of the really big numbers 
and the big dance sequences and then becomes more a character piece definitely in the last 20 to 30 minutes mm-hmm. um when seemingly all of the dance is departed and it just ends up being a lot of performances really um it's interesting to yeah. see a musical that doesn't keep its almost its musical through line the whole way through yeah the, um, you're sort of losing the music more and more as you go yeah um i definitely noticed that and i think the one of the big takeaways the, one of the big positive takeaways is that this is certainly more cinematic than the 61 version the 61 version is very they're very clearly on sets it very it's unashamedly like a stage play the original mm-hmm. like it feels like you're just watching almost a recording of it um, and this one doesn't feel that way. It's a, a lot more cinematic. It feels like they're walking around on real streets, um, real rooftops, for example. Yeah. Um, I love that aspect of it, and especially this idea of the two games. You have the Jets and the Sharks, who in the original... And I'll get into the original and how silly it is, but but I think it actually works really well for that reason. This one takes us up a bit more seriously. It's a bit more overtly violent from the very beginning mm. of the film. Um but I also bought the idea of them taking the streets or, you know, fighting over the streets because they're quite dire and empty and, like, a lot of the brick walls are, like, disheveled and destroyed. Well, because it's getting... This whole part of town is getting redone into a... So... So a gentrification type thing going on. Yeah, well, exactly. It's it's showing that this is... This sort of rivalry is... Even from the start, almost is pointless and people are telling them it is because they're far bigger problems. Yeah. And it's sort of then the naivete of youth and the aggression, the over-aggression of youth and entitlement that they're ignoring the the overt problems that society is closing in on them and they'll have nothing regardless yeah. of what happens. Well, the, those there are monologues in this about, you know, this is what this is what they've got. You know, this is this is the world that they're in, and it's like, yeah, obviously there are bigger issues out there, but it's like for them, this is what gives them life in a lot of ways. And, and there's a lot of monologues in there. In regards to that and these characters and why the Jets, um, in particular, are so important to each other, that that boy group, if you will. Mm. Um, but what that's one of the things I really like about this film is I bought the location more. Like that made more sense to me. This idea of taking the streets, you know, yeah. and, and and what's been happening. I'm a big fan of the color palette pretty much throughout the entire film. It's definitely very reminiscent of sort of '90s Spielberg work, mm. um, with particularly the contrast between you know stuff like. Saving Private Ryan's disheveled greys and browns. And then moving more into like, yeah, that more colourful palette as we start to get to that sort of turn of the, you know, when we move more maybe even to the Catch Me If You Can stuff, you know, the the mm, vibe, the use of colour okay. in, in particularly dance sequences when we're, yeah. we're well, juxtaposing the, the, the costumes are primary colours and they're all twirling. Well, yeah, it's blues yeah. and greens versus yellows and oranges. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and it's very clear how divisive that is. And only in the latter stages when sort of uh, become when night takes over and we start to get to the more monochromatic parts where it gets darker and deeper yep. into the plot do those colors start to meld more into a more single entity which is is very simple visual code but it's it's really nice to see it throughout this that that is that and that adds that cinematic language on top of this so it shows it's not simply just a stage adaptation yeah absolutely it's a cinematic adaptation that's definitely one of my big positives about this because at the end of the day it comes back to what can spielberg do with this story how can he bring it to a modern audience how do you bring a 60 year old entity yeah to a modern audience exactly i think th- there's really three things that i would say this does in terms of bringing it to a modern audience Cin- more it, cinematic 
is one of them absolutely and we, i feel like we talked a bit about that but the other two things is overtness and political correctness now i'm not i'm not saying this is negatives <laughs> i don't want to oh, this is politically correct no, that's not what i'm saying at all you're talking about how to transcribe it to make it more interpretable for modern audiences well yeah but even like from a casting standpoint um in the fact that and i didn't actually realize this until i read afterwards that the original has a lot of blackface in it and that they weren't really casting a lot of puerto ricos um as you know these characters especially mm. as the sharks and i think so sort of rectifying that is i honestly think that's a great way to do it especially mm-hmm. you know with this 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 standpoint and one of the, of course we mentioned it earlier you mentioned your fact that they're sort of gender swapping certain characters or creating new characters um so what uh, let me grab her name again uh, valentina yeah valentina mm-hmm. obviously is sort of a new character but you're right takes the role that doc would play in the original yeah um which is like okay that's a neat switch like yeah have no problem with that yeah there's definitely other things like the over aggression of men getting called out um yeah in the latter stages of the film definitely a big part of it there is a a um transitioned character in it yeah there's um, a trans character so anybody's i want to talk about this really briefly if if we don't mind we'll mm-hmm. jump right into it right now um, so yeah, in the original, anybody's was just sort of a tomboy who you know wanted wanted to get in on the gang and wanted to join in. Now, I actually really love this character, and I think in terms of you know redoing a legacy character, as in picking a character that's already been established in previous media and changing him to in this case be a trans character, it's actually one of the more smarter decisions it's to a be made. One. It's subtle because it actually works exactly into the role that the character plays is is trying to join this, you know, this bandit of, of guys who are trying to project this character. Like, no, 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 we don't want you here. Now, in as much as I love that decision, I was a little disappointed because it feels like anybody's doesn't have as much screen time in this version versus the older one. Mm-hmm. I actually thought they had more to do in that one in terms of constantly reappearing and want to be a part of, of the yeah. gang. And this leads into, and you sort of mentioned it, this idea of, you know, especially the girl sort of rebelling against the guys in one particular scene. And we might as well talk about it now. So I guess, well, we're well past spoilers, I imagine. Yeah. Spoilers for 60 plus year old. Go watch it. Go Sorry. watch this film. Go watch it. Go watch it. It's good. So I would love, yeah, let's talk about the scene now. So what I love about the original is that anybody's, you know, delivers information. I'm like, oh, he's got the knife and he's coming after Tony. And, and that's sort of the, not the indoctrination, I shouldn't call it that, but like the acceptance, mm-hmm. you know, the daddy-o saying, so to speak, which they don't say in this film, which was strange. Um, but what I love is that immediately after this happens and anybody who's now part of the group is when the big, uh, the big whoopsie scene happens. <laughs> Let's call it that. Yeah. <laughs> Towards the end. It's, well, a, it's an interesting yeah. scene, isn't it? Because mm. it obviously it, it involves um, Anita coming into yes. the uh, you know, it's like a do- drugstore, the yeah. drugs, the drugstore, and and currently at this point Tony's downstairs because he's just killed uh, Eduardo. Bernando, Bernando, or is it? Um, let me actually pull it up. Yeah, Bernando. Bernando. Yeah. Um. And is obviously like preparing to run away with Maria, um, yeah. at this point. And you know, Valentina's downstairs, and and what this leads to is is a lot of the, uh, the the jets harassing Anita. Um, all yeah. you know starts off uh, aggressive and and playful, and easily moves into a very sexually overtoned rape overtone. Yeah, well, they even um, use the word rape in this version of the film. They, well, Valentina calls them blatantly out for it, yeah. and. 
um, it's a it's a very heavy shift um, of this, and I I think it it's sort of appropriate because the whole sort of thesis of the film is really how immature and 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 stupid youths are like collectively like it's not a just purely a a a jets thing it's you know it's the fact that bernardo doesn't let maria near a a white man for no real reason Mm. like you know he's done nothing but um you know caught her and and do it the right and been gone around it the right way yet he strikes first and and is just overly aggressive and is very much like you keep to your own so they both got very polarizingly disgruntled views and yeah it's definitely, um, it definitely, I think, contributes to it. And but really, like I said, it it's interesting. There is that, although it's like always leading to things going horribly wrong. But the the point in which both, you know, um, Bernanda and um, God, what's Tony's friend's name? Got to double check it. Oh, Riff. Riff. Yep. When they both get killed in the uh, in the salt warehouse. Yeah. Um, the tone goes right down to like yeah. heavy stuff and doesn't stop really at all. It doesn't have any reprieve. Um, how did you feel about the scene? So the Anita scene, yes. particularly. So I think first off, I'm, I was kind of surprised, you know, this family's in the theater. I was surprised that Spielberg was like, you yeah, know, let's, let's go forward and tell the story as it, as it was, you know, let's go through with it. Um, but again, this is where, the other word that I used was overtness. Now, I noticed that earlier with just some of the words they use, these characters. I think the whole, like, racial undertones are actually a bit more overt and obvious in this version. Mm-hmm. Um, not that I think it makes the film worse by any means. I think it's, you know, appealing to a more modern audience and it's trying to make these themes a bit more, yeah, overt and obvious, um, which I think is fine. But then that plays into this scene as well where um, notably all of the girlfriend characters start turning on them like oh what are you doing what are you doing they you know they kick them out and then valentina comes in and has that big speech you know you're you know you've grown up with a bunch of rapists what's wrong mm-hmm. with you um things that weren't overtly done in the original now i totally understand the decision to let's really point out how terrible this is because this is a part of the story we're not going to change it but we need to make sure people know this is horrible and this is like a, a mm. extreme low for these characters that are that are, you know, the Jets that are going to do this. Um, but in turn, there's such a subtle moment in the original that's completely lost to do with anybody's character in that after anybody's is now part of this group, is just sort of standing there while this is happening. And then Doc runs in and then, like, tells them to get out and they all just sort of leave with their heads sort of held down. I was like, that's such a fascinating moment for that character who spent the whole film trying to join this gang and then does. and then immediately witnesses this and is like almost putting their head down as if they were a part of it equally. It's like, well, they, they're part of the gang now. And I think this film almost immediately, it because it has to point out how terrible this is, anybody as well as, you know, all the other sort of girlfriend characters, they'll get kicked out early. They're all like, you know, punching against the window. What are you doing? What are you doing? I just, I feel like there's a lot of subtlety that's lost in that. And I understand why it's there. Mm. They want to make sure the audience knows this is screwed up. Like, let's not, <laughs> let's not mix words here. Yeah. But I think there are some subtle moments that were lost in that transition. So I'm, I was a little disappointed by that. Yeah. But that's probably the best way I can describe yeah, it. That's totally fair. <laughs> that's fair. Yeah. Well, um, I would like to touch on one of the, one of the big pros of, of this, uh, film is definitely its casting is is mm. very strong um particularly um 
and I'll just bring up some very very handy notes on this. Ooh, let's get um, some notes. I do I do agree. I think Bar obviously um, you know you you touched on with your trivia fact that this is the first sort of on-screen role for Rachel uh, Zegler, is mm. it? Um, and obviously we're not going to really touch a lot on probably Ansel Elgort's performance. No, I did um, I wrote this down really quickly to throw it out there. There's an article on Vulture called A Timeline of the Allegations Against uh, Ansel Elgort, is that his name? Yes. Yeah. It's a great article reader. It 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 explains what the allegations are in addition to the timeline of those allegations against the making of this film. Um, so it, it it's a bit messy, but that's a really great article to go to. But you're right. Other than that, let's not touch on it. <laughs> yeah, obviously not going <laughs> to jump in him. it too much. I think his performance is fine. I actually don't think his performance is... The, it's not the know. best one in the film. No, it's no. not. I actually do think it's just as well Rachel's getting a lot more push for it because yep. I, I think um, her and... Um, Ariana uh, DeBoss, is it? The one who plays Anita. Uh, the two strongest elements of the, oh, yeah. the film, in my it's opinion. It's like DeBose. I know she's in like Hamilton and stuff as well. She's great. Yeah. I think she's the best part, to be honest. Yeah. Wow. Um, so this kind of ties into I, I, what I think I do like, like you just brought up, you think she might be in Hamilton, um, is a lot of the cast were uh, predominantly the main characters were all able to actually sing and dance and basically encompass that triple threat mantra um where they had the balance between acting singing and dancing yeah which the original doesn't do i think the majority of them have like alternative castings for their singing voices well a lot of films do and particularly a lot of of these big budget musicals i mean we talk about the hooper ones from the last Mm. decade both cats and and les mis it's like they care more about having big name actors in it rather than those who can perform yeah and it's one thing to see, you know, like, do you hear the people sing in the Hooper film versus when you watch a Les Mis recording of it from actual people that can do it. And yeah. I know which one I'd prefer. Right, of It's course. the one by the ones that are conditioned for it. It's, I think that what this film does so well with some of its numbers is because they have such casting that was focused on nailing these elements, these crucial, in fact, mm. I mean, the dancing is probably the most crucial element oh, of this film. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And, and and singing definitely takes a second precedent. And then, honestly, probably acting probably takes the, the, the tertiary precedent. And it's like, because they, they tick those boxes, it makes it so lively and compelling and mm. flows so well. And that just, in turn, complements the cinematography. Um, you know, like, it's it's really interesting. So, my from my... Uh, here are the notes. Yeah, here are the notes. <laughs> so the the choreography was complex and dynamic, displaying great range of skills and techniques, and a range of styles uh, styles and elements such as uh, ballet, Latin dance, jazz, and ballroom. Mm. So obviously, you and I have got probably next to no real <laughs> distinction on which one's which. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, but definitely there. I mean, some of my highlight scenes tie back to some of the fluidity of the, particularly the dance numbers. Um, and I, and you know, to tie more into stuff that we know, obviously, yeah, the camera angles chosen to complement all of these dance sequences were fantastic. The lack of serious cutaways, lots of oneers, so we really yep. get to capture a lot it. of wide a shots, a lot of wide shots to really show the scope. Which, you know, a, a big point that we brought up when we were discussing the film was that it's really nice because they're triple threats that they're involved in the dance. They're not just standing around while all the dancers are around them dancing yeah, and they're singing. Because they can't dance, yeah. but they're just doing both at the same time, and I think that's a hundred percent what 
this is it, at times it's it doesn't and the way they use the camera it doesn't create that motion blur effect or make you feel sick watching it it's like right because the camera is quite uh, static for the, yeah. for a lot of it um, a lot of which it's is got great, dolly dolly pulls and yeah there's stuff. a lot of mo- there's certainly more camera movement here than the original i mean you know, i think of the i feel pretty sequence um which i love the way they use the mirrors as well in that i how do they do um, that yeah, like, there's so many mirrors. <laughs> there's so many mirrors. I can't even see it. Um, no, but I like that camera. I remember the camera distinctly moving more, and I think of the original. It's more about you know, like when hands and feet kind of cross into the frame. It's about the camera actually being still as yeah. that motion happens. While in here, there's sort of a marriage of both. The camera's moving around a lot more, and you know, sort of swooping dolly and that kind of thing. Um, but it's again, it's all in service of letting the blocking and the and the performances just sort of play out. And I figure that big wide, that sort of I'm, I'm, it's probably a crane that's like lifted off the ground. But the wide in the the gym as well, in one of the earlier scenes, where just you're letting all the twirling and the costumes spinning around. You're letting that all just sort of, lack of a better word, speak for itself. Yeah, I think the fact that it does allow that allows it to just complement so many other elements like. The, the editing, it comes better. It shows the composition's fantastic mm. from, uh, I think it's Soderheim is the central okay. composer. Nice. Um, and um, costume design. This is some of the best costume mm. design all year. Yeah. I especially love, like, even just, like, it, it's homaging, sure, but it's, like, the the classic white dress with the red belt. Mm-hmm. Like, that is a classic outfit, and it's just, like, sort of nailed it where it's, it's slightly more modern, but it's essentially the same thing. But it just it, it's iconic. It works. That's what you want on your poster. <laughs> but no, I agree. I think all the costumes and everything are really fantastic and the layering and how, you know, when they're doing the, the twirls and the, the swings and the jumps, like, it just, it all looks fantastic in motion when they're dancing, mm. which is great. But no, yeah. it's a good notes. Yeah. It's good to help us oh, out. It was one. definitely handy yeah. to have. There you go. Um, it's very audience. interesting. Yeah, <laughs> it is interesting to watch with someone that's like you know very got you know a lot of knowledge of, of like dance and choreography and stuff because yeah, yeah. you get a different reading on it when you look at it that way because you're like I look at it and go oh it's some really nice dancing <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> well that's it that's even with these musicals especially ones of these scales it's just there's so much you know we're used to talking about films and like we can talk about cinematography and editing and and performance as well for the most part we can talk about a lot of things but you know we haven't done a lot of musicals on this show no and it's just you know as much as we both enjoy especially you enjoy uh, musical theater it's a different art to talking about dancing technique as well for sure um so no it's good to have that in there a little shout out you got anything you'd like to add jake yes i think i want to talk a bit about because that was one of the things i mentioned um, was referring to early with the little changes and random things they mm. did was of course the decision with um anybody's um particularly being involved with the other sort of the girls or the girlfriend characters and you know, oh what are you doing the, the overtness and their mm. reaction to it but a lot of the things i was referring to was the placement of certain songs um so the america sequence in the original happens on the rooftop at night and this one it actually happens the next day during the day on the streets mm-hmm. Which I think things like that, it's probably more like, okay, well, now we're in a brighter lit, you know, environment and we can actually have more extras near because it's during the day on the streets. Yeah. So it might have been decisions like that. Um, but the one that I wanted to talk about specifically was the fact that they do the I Feel Pretty sequence after the fight, which 
I I understand maybe you want that tone of whiplash of like this horrible thing happening, and then you cut to Maria, who's obviously none the wiser mm. and is singing this song. But I just remember it feeling really out of place when in the original it was more of a midpoint song. It was also during the day. It's kind of where the America track would be. My so what I got from collectively and what you're you're talking about. This was the big thing that this film I think focuses on that maybe the sixty one film does focus on, but it definitely gets subsided by a lot of the other stuff going on. Is is this film really is Maria's film in the right. sense that it's. It's the robbing of her innocence and naivete. Sure, yeah. um, From start to finish. Like, it's her journey, and everyone is really just a catalyst for her change. So by the end, when she says, like, I don't love anymore, it's like, or like, I've lost that ability. It's, that's the the final thing in the coffin. I think the, like you said, the emotional whiplash Mm. of that, that, that color and contrast shows that, you know, at that point in time, she still has... Her, her innocence right okay and it could be that sense of we should really kind of we as the viewer are tony in this situation we fall in love with maria the same sort of way mm. um we look at her the way that he looks at her in the the dance so knowing that this bad news is coming right okay for her it could be that reason um I the think, fact that she's yeah. there feeling pretty she's feeling lively she's singing in, in a euphoric way and she's kind of messing around with the the head cleaning lady as she runs around the boutique fashion store and, yeah um if anything is is sort of talking about how she doesn't need all of this materialistic wealth to feel beautiful mm. because someone's made her feel beautiful and then you know there's that self-love there and see i th- i mean that's a great argument i think because, in, and this is another thing, I think this film focuses more on, like, Tony's dark past, the fact that he nearly killed someone, the fact he's been in prison. I don't actually think the original really touches on that mm-hmm. at all in the same way. And that whole sequence where they go on the train together and they go into, it's it's not like a church, is it, where they are? Um, I honestly still couldn't tell. I think it's an art gallery, <laughs> but I think it's a church, too. Right. But, I think it's a church. Yeah. Also, going all the way to a church. <laughs> what a first date. Well, look, yeah, so the, the whole confession, that whole sequence just doesn't happen in the original. And in fact, what happens is they have their, you know, their star-crossed lovers moment at nighttime. And then, you know, we jump into the morning. We have the America track happen at night before the other girls upstairs. Um, but she's left out of it. And then in the next morning when she's at work, that's when they do the I Feel Pretty mm. thing. Um, and then it's after that track that her and Tony get together and they do their pretend marriage ceremony. Um, so there's actually a bit of them less together in the mm. original, but I think it still works. So I think with that build, it all plays into this idea that I loved about the original that, again, I think doesn't nail in this one, is this idea of the youth and innocence slowly turning into something serious because what I loved about the very first sequence when you meet the Jets and the Sharks in the original is that it's it's this dynamic uh, dynamic shifting of numbers or size in numbers, and that you meet the jets and there's a few of them and they run into a few of the sharks and they scare them off and then they come back with more members and it's sort of like a weird dance like that. The, the, this one kind of does, but what I love is that the dancing and the violence was it was all almost flirtatious and platonic. There were no connecting punches. It was just a dance. And then as the sequence goes on, it slowly turns into more of a physical fight. Mm. Um, now, while Spielberg sort of jumps right into the fighting, like the actual physical violence and jumping off the fence and 
you know, he's got the nail in his ear, which is that's a very early moment for that to happen. I feel like that's all representative in the original version of something that seems very silly, slowly turning serious as the stakes get higher and the knives get pulled out. And in this version, I feel like they're foreshadowing it a lot earlier, the idea of mm. knives. And there's a whole sequence where, you know, they're playing with the gun or Tony's trying to get the gun off them. Yeah. Um, like, that's a whole sequence they've added just to foreshadow the violence that's impending. Yeah. And I kind of liked in the original how it seems so silly at first, um, but then the, the dancing choreography slowly turns into actual violence and that is foreshadowed throughout the whole film. That, that's sort of my extended rant in terms of why I think the placement of I Feel Pretty feels weird. Okay. Because I understand what you're saying is, as an audience, we feel that gut punch of, oh, God, she's so happy and this impending news is about to hit her. Mm. But I, did, I like the almost a more linear fashion in the original. And to be fair, the way that Spielberg does it is more accurate to the original stage play. I read that that is the more accurate version is that it happens okay. after the, 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 the fight. Yeah. So I'm just, I, I'm trying not to be too, uh, what's the word? Precious about it. <laughs> it's your take, Jake. That's it's okay. a take. Yeah. It's just my, my feelings. Yeah. That's my feelings. No, that's fair. Yeah. I, I definitely think it's interesting because obviously following that news of what's happened. Yes. Um, we pretty much abstain from musical numbers for mm. uh, the majority of the rest of the film. I think this. there's only one after that. The whole film. Which, the whole like, I don't act. know many f- musicals that do that. Or right. at least the direction of, of almost completely taking the music out and almost <laughs> turning it just straight into a drama at that point. Almost a stage play. Um, yeah. And I think that that might come back to, like I said, a big part of uh, the the first 60, 70% of the film is obviously musical and dance numbers. And obviously as things get more serious and, and really when reality comes, it's almost like music and dance is robbed from the world. Yeah. And that must be the, the, the direction that that's taking. And because um, obviously, yeah, they all lose their, their self-confidence and their identities because of the the travesties that ensue and yeah. the, the deaths, the unnecessary deaths. Um, Do you think that was a worthy choice in, in regards of, you know, we're representing this down spiraling shift the way there is no more music or, or laughter or joy. And there's multiple times in this version, in both versions where they finish a number and then they all start like laughing or hugging or they yeah. almost celebrate from the number they just pulled off. Very full ball breaking. And it's very strange. Well, I was going to say, <laughs> this this musical is particularly strange for that because it does feel like multiple times where it almost feels diegetic. Right. Like, and obviously the, the, the part with musicals is generally the musical number is non-diegetic. It's almost like a, a, a ethereal monologue yes. that happens. And... um. But in this one, yeah, it does feel like they, they spontaneously break out into song and then just stop. So maybe yeah. that's their, yeah, that is their way. I mean, like the the Officer Crump, Crumpkey number, <laughs> where they're like, they literally do collective damage to the, the, the police office. Yeah, in which they the throw the papers returns. around yeah, and everything. Yeah. yeah. So with that in mind, we can argue that it is sort of a diegetic thing that the characters do. Yeah. Do you think that's a, a good choice for them to abstain from music? Yeah, pretty much Okay, that it's it's worth it. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Cool. It's serious. It's a fair, especially when you think about you know we've talked about obviously just talked about the Anita Diner scene and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's they're going into some incredibly heavy subject matter in the last part. Yeah, between that sort of the the, the rape culture discussion and and um, 
sort of like the racial implications, the police brutal unnecessary poli- implied poli- police brutality mm. or lackluster of caring. Um, there's a lot going on, so maybe busting into a musical number is probably not the way to go. <laughs> Fair enough. Before I forget this point, because you just made it, I love that you know you do have those police officers in there, and there is sort of those racist undertones and what they're saying, but that they will go to the Jets, being like, "Well, who really, you know, behind." the shark's back like, okay well you can now you can tell us now and there's this sort of anti-authoritarian stance they both have yeah. they don't dog on each other this is a very personal gang war that no we can't let the authorities know yeah you know and i think it's a much bigger deal in the original but it's present in both this idea of them trying to find out where the, the fight's going to happen and nobody will just spill the beans like it's like no 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 this fight's going to happen like we can't have you involved um so I like I like that mm. aspect in there. Nice. Do you have anything else you like to add, Jake? Um, let's see. What have I got? Oh, <laughs> one one note I wanted to say in the original. Miss, this is it doesn't affect the story at all, but it's a huge missed opportunity. Okay. In the original, one of the jets is reading a Captain Marvel comic, being like, "Oh my god, he's so cool!" Like it could have been pretty cool if they had the scene here, but then of course referred to Captain Marvel as she's really cool. Since Captain Mara is now probably more popular, the female version. Yeah. That could have been a cool little... They, Spielberg, you could have. Could have, would have, should have. If only he liked those <laughs> superhero movies. <laughs> uh, how dare he. But um, otherwise, no, I think... I mean, like I said, I think I compared this very much to Cape Fear. I actually prefer the original Cape Fear over um, Scorsese's version. Um, for not uh, They both do, much like these two films, they both do things that, like oh, I like this better in this version, I like this better in this version. So no, there's no one version that's, like, supremely better. Mm. And the, and I guess the good point to leave it on with this new West Side Story is, again, like, there is a newfound sense of inclusivity. There's more respect to, I guess, the Puerto Rican community and the fact that there isn't... There's notably less blackface yes. <laughs> in this film. Um, but things like that. But then, yeah, but then taking these seri- more serious... Um, themes and making a point of saying how messed up they are you know and this is what the story is but it's you know some of these things are really screwed up um so that film this film has that going for it in terms of the the more cinematic overt version of the story but i also think the other one does things in more subtle interesting ways that i think i prefer it but Hmm. I think that's where i stand with that um i know it's been a while since you've seen the original but just based on your, mate, what would you say you prefer? Oh, I'd be really divided. I'd, I'd, I'd be divided on yeah. it, to be honest. I would have to probably sit down and watch both. I'd yeah, say, of course. And really make a collective because I actually enjoyed both. I actually have problems with the story in both. I think like well, yeah, even just like the story itself. Um, but that's not fault of the films. So, um, did enjoy this one though. Yeah. Biggest cool. height differential between a male and female protagonist. <laughs> It's absurd, isn't it? How crazy! Yeah, they must have wrote it in just after the casting. Oh, you're so tall. He's like on. He's on his knees half the time. I, I think. I think there's a seven year age gap there as well. But also, like, eighteen year old women. Like, how much more do you grow once you're eighteen as well? So that's true. She might just be stuck at that height. <laughs> he is so tall yeah. next to her. But um, oh. yeah, no worries. Well, uh, what is your highlight scene, Jake? Um, so I think. I kind of have a, a non-musical highlight scene and, wow. then, and then two shout-outs. We already talked about both of them. I wanted to shout out the I Feel Pretty sequence because, yeah, the, all the mirror 
choreography with the girls and everything. It's just really great. And that's probably that's probably the best song in the whole show. Would you agree with that? No. No? Tonight's pretty excellent. Yeah. Those renditions of Tonight. Um, but yeah, I love the I Feel Pretty one. And I wanted to give a shout out to, we talked about Maria and Anita's. Probably the only song in that last act is when they're arguing. She's like, oh, you know, he's a boy. You know, find another one sort of thing. I'll get that the track is a boy like that slash I Have a Love, which of course is them sort of, their songs are overlapping. They're sort of speaking mm. over each other, but then it slowly turns into harmonization as they sort of come to terms with each other's feelings. And I really like that. But then my non musical highlight scene would probably be in the morning when Maria wakes up, she's still in her outfit and she just, it's a very Spielbergian moment where it's like a one shot of her, like readjusting her hair, jumping in the bed, trying to mess it up just to, to pretend like she's being asleep. Like that whole one, a sequence. It's mm-hmm. like, that's Sp- Spielberg being like, I'm going to make you a star. <laughs> I would have to say my highlight scene is probably like the, the dance sequence in the dance hall. Right. Where okay. They go back nice. and forth with each other. It's, perfect complement of, of cinematography choreography and costume design and mm. it's a really nice back and forth and that does lead to the first tony and maria meet there's probably a few too many lens flares in this film though just, just my last <laughs> yeah they have those lights perfectly planted behind the the bleachers <laughs> yeah. it's like there's there's some points i was like guys there's a lot of lens flares in this, this yeah. i will say the the original they do like a masking effect where they're both staring at each other and then like they sort of just mask them and everything else is blurred and it looks like as bad as it sounds i'm describing it but <laughs> it was an interesting way to go about this one they very cleverly like put the camera a bit lower and crowds are like walking in between mm. them i mean there's a more clever way to to isolate them in the frame yeah but um it's a great scene no worries well the 2021 west side story is currently out in cinemas near you speaking of cinemas mm. jake what is new to cinemas and streaming platforms this week not a lot zeke very uh very chill week going into the new year we have house of gucci of course comes to cinemas on the first season outsider from humble beginnings marry into the gucci family and see your unbridled ambition begin to unravel their legacy it triggers a reckless spiral of betrayal revenge and ultimately murder stars lady gaga and adam driver very excited for that, even despite the reviews. Yeah. Got some rough reviews. <laughs> I know. Ugh. And coming to streaming this week, we have The Lost Daughter. It's finally dropping on Netflix as well as the fourth season of Cobra Kai. You ready, Zeke? You ready for it? I'm so ready. My oh, body is ready. That's good. You have another show coming out this week. The Book of Boba Fett premieres on Disney+. Plus. A lot of work to do this there's a lot, There's a lot of work. <laughs> you got to get onto it. As well as the documentary The Rescue that comes to Disney+. Plus as well and finally the ninth fast and the furious film was that this year or was that last year that, that was last year wasn't it what? oh god i have no idea i've never one with john cena i've although he's in all of them <laughs> i don't know i have no idea but the ninth one the latest one i think it's the latest one comes to prime this week so you can jump on that but like i said zeke it's a pretty pretty chill week pretty chill week pretty chill yeah pretty chill. so <laughs> <laughs> We're moving into our late. Well, is that is that all you're in? The yeah, yeah, that's yeah. it. Wow, that was actually really short. Yeah, and right. <laughs> um, well, we're moving into our latest director's corner. But Jake, who's the director, and what are we watching? Uh, we're very excited, Zeke. Looking back, it's film coming in a couple of weeks. We want to prepare for. So we're looking back at the career of Sean Baker. Of course, we're doing next week, the Florida Project. Thank you very much. You're not welcome. 
gets arrested a lot. These are the rooms we're not supposed to go in. But let's go anyway. <laughs> Could you give us some change, please? The doctor said we have asthma and we gotta eat ice cream yeah. right away. Here you go. Hey, Lee, got a situation here. Open up. It's only second week of the summer, and there's already been a dead fish in the pool. We're trying to get it back alive. Water balloons thrown at tourists. Boobies! Boobies! I failed as a mother, Moni. Yeah, Mom, you're a disgrace. A six-year-old girl lives with her mother in a Florida motel and spends the summer pranking tourists as her mother struggles to make ends meet. Such a banger of a film. Oh, this is going to be good, Zeke. I'm going to be a lot of fun. Very excited. I'm honestly... I will probably revisit some scenes from it um, and probably revisit the film, but I need to watch more Sean Baker films. That's, that's yeah, well, Tangerine's a big one. I just got to figure out what that is. Yeah. I don't even know. That might be like an SBS On Demand thing. I feel like that'd be an SBS On Demand Could thing. be. This is an interesting one. But yeah. yes, obviously with the film coming up. So, yeah, very exciting. Exactly. But until then, thank you for joining us for the Cinema Sideshow Podcast. I was Zeke. I was Jake. We'll catch you next week with The Florida Project. See you in 2022.